Uh, Holy Spirit, you're here. For those of us who are your sons and daughters, uh, of course you're here. You promise to be not only in our midst, but if we're your, we're your sons and daughters, you dwell in us. And you promise to never leave or forsake us. Uh, so sometimes it's sort of weird, oh God, please come, because you're already here. Since you're here, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do. Uh, give us what only you can give us. Teach us. Impart life to us. Make Jesus more real to us. Inspire us to live out why we're here on planet Earth. Do only the things that you can do. God, do that for our sake. Do it for the sake of the people that we say we love. And would you do it for the sake of your name that we take with us wherever we go. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of this message, there, she is so good. She is so good. Uh, Lift up your eyes, you'll see in a minute. I'm going to talk about faith. And I'm going to talk about faith in the way that I think will help anybody. If you can understand English right now, this will help you in faith. There are a couple things before I go into the teaching, some background things on, on, on how important faith is. Really, 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 faith is important. I mean, I like to state the obvious, but from God's perspective, faith is really, really important. First thing is, faith pleases God. Many of us try really hard to be good, thinking that by being good, we'll please God. That, that's just working hard. Faith pleases God. Do you know why we obey God? Not, I mean, if you're a Christian, the reason we obey God is, is not because we, we, we want to get Him to love us. We, we obey God because He loves us. And when He tells us to do things that we would rather not do, because as God's saying it, we trust Him, we trust that He's smarter than us, and we go, God, I'd rather not do that, but you say love your enemy? You know, reconcile, do all that sort of stuff. You know, I'd rather not, but I trust you. I have faith in you, therefore. And it's, it's that basis of living that makes God go, I like that. That pleases me. That ple-. Faith pleases God. The second thing, I mean, if you want to please God, obeying is important. But the reason that we obey is because we trust that God knows what he's talking about. And he is who he says he is. When we come in front, that, that just pleases God. No end. The righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? First, to be righteous, there's just a little theology. If you're born again, not if you go to church or if you're a sincere, you know, churchgoer, but really, if you are genuinely born again, if you have surrendered your past, your present, and your future to the person and the work of Jesus, if you've done that, God has started something in you, uh, you're going to heaven and all that, but from God's perspective, all the demands that, that need to be met for you to be able to come into his presence, they're already met. You're righteous. You can come in anytime. You don't have to get right in order to come to God. 
You come to God because he's made you right. Now that's a, that's a brain cramp for many of us. We have to remind ourselves of that. But if we're his kid, then when we come into his presence, there may be things he wants to work on, but the issue of whether or not we have right standing with him, it's settled. So for those of us who are Christians, not people who are trying real hard to be Christians or think they might be, those who know that they're kids, you know, that they have warts and all, those, those who are righteous, how are we supposed to live? Trying real hard to make God love us, not. We live by faith. We live by faith. Here to me is the best example for me, and that wouldn't be for you. If you take a fish and pull it out of water and put it on a dock, what does it do? You know, it goes like this, right? And, it says, and have you ever tried to hold a fish out of water? You know, it goes like this, and, and it looks at you, and, and it makes faces at you, you know, right? All that sort of stuff. And if you get the wrong thing, you get the spikes in there, right? And, and then that's sort of how it is when we're not walking by faith. When our life isn't, when we're not actually trusting God with the various aspects of life. We're hard to handle. We're hard to be around. Now, if you keep that fish on the dock long enough, it stops fighting and doing weird stuff. It just lays there and goes, you know, it'll just do that. Just uh, and every so often, I've seen kids do that. Instead of taking the fish, putting them back in the water, you know what kids do? They get a bucket of water and go, "Oh, look!" And then it starts flopping around. Isn't that great? Yeah, some of us are like that. We live our whole whole week on the dock. Somehow get to church, and someone throws a bucket of water on us. Fish are born to live in the water. We are born to live by faith. If you're born again. What, what makes us alive is our trust in God. The righteous, we live by faith. That's why some people go through hell, horrible things, and they're not faking it, but they're going, God, I don't get this, this hurts and all, but I trust you, I trust your word. I'm not going to go with my own opinions. I'm not going to go with my feelings. I know what you're saying. I'm going to do that. And people who do that, are they hurting? Yep. Are they sometimes crying? Yep. But there's something in them. They're alive. Have you ever looked in their eyes? They're going, this is hard as you know what. But this is what God says, I'm going to do it. They're alive. So I, I just wanted to share those two things. Really, Faith is important. It really is. It's actually a gift from God. And it pleases God. And it's sort of the water in which we're supposed to swim. Now we'll do a little application. Can I, can I trust you to give me that water bottle? <laughs> That's a little too low. Anyway. <laughs> Next time I'm just going to open up the water bottle and pour it over you. Anyway. There, there are just three aspects of faith that I want to talk about. And uh, let's see how God ministers to you. Uh, as a background, there's this guy named Abram. Now, Abram, he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. It, it, it is uh, basically a New Age community, utterly godless. No churches, no nothing. Right? No Christian radio. Just utterly godless. And in the middle of that, God speaks to Abram. 
Isn't that interesting? God speaks to Abram. He speaks to Abram when he was young. And he says, listen, what you're currently experiencing is not all that I have for you. Later on, his dad hears the same thing, comes home and says, guess what? What we're currently experiencing is, is not all that God has for us. Remember, these are new age people. They don't, they don't have any church background, but they know God has spoken to them. So daddy goes, come on kids, let's go. And Abram and the rest of the clan go, that's our dad. He's not going to settle. He's going to find out what God has for him and for us. That's the economy of God. Anyway, things don't work out. But the cool thing is he's a new age guy and he's rich. He's settled. He's comfortable. He's got a fairly good life. And God says, you know what you have, it's okay. But what I have for you, you can't experience staying where you are. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12 and this is where God speaks to him. Again, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Go from your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I just want to unpack that just for for a couple minutes. First thing he says is, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. You know, sometimes... When God wants us to move, it's not a geographic move. It's an intercultural move. Or it's a relational move. Where there's some people we're hanging out with that, yeah, that you like them and all that, but they're not an influence. They don't encourage you in God. They drag you down. They, they give you the advice of the culture. And you're not getting godly advice. Sometimes God says, why don't you move from that and, and, and move into something else? Because what you're currently experiencing is not what I have for you. Sometimes you got to move out of your inner culture. You know, your experiences, what dad and, and dad did and didn't do, whether or not you were raised in a loving family or a hateful family, whether or not you were sinned against or you were a horrible sinner, all those things contribute to who you are. But sometimes God says, I'd like you to move out from that so that where you've been no longer defines where you're going. Sometimes you just got to make a decision to move out of your, just your culture. Well, I love all this God stuff, but that's not how I was raised. Great. That's wonderful. But why should you let how you've been raised determine how far you go in God? Is there anybody here sitting there going, I am experiencing everything that God has for me while I'm on planet Earth? There's nobody here. God always has more. It doesn't mean that we are dissatisfied or we complain. But if we're kingdom people, the kingdom of God is always advancing. There's always more. New challenges. New ways of doing things. And the killer is God puts it in us to want the more, but he won't usually show us what it looks like until we get there. Until we get closer, he goes, I want you to go. To the land that I will show you. Mm. I'd much rather get the picture, see if I could do it, and all that. And then God throws out these promises. If you'll just get the train out of the station, just go. Go where? I'm not telling. Just, just take some steps. I will bless you. I will bless your family. 
I will bless future generations. Your name, which really is a great source of influence, your name will be great. You'll be able to influence more people. I'll back you. You won't have to worry about defending yourself. All these things. And Abram's sitting there going, now if I just start holding on less to what I am and where I've been and starting holding on more to where you're leading me, I'll start experiencing them more. And yeah, that's what he says. And then verse four, it says, so Abram went. Abram prayed about it. Abram thought about it. Abram said, well, that's a really good word. You know, I think I'll just say, I'll tell everybody I got a good word. He went. And it says in, in Hebrews, he went without knowing where he was going. He went without knowing what it was going to look like. There are many of us here who have gotten words about marriages. And God said, look where you're going to go. Look where you're going to go. And the train's still in the station. It's still in the station. God says, come on, just hold, hold your wife's hand and say, come on, honey, this is going to be hard, but what's it going to look like? I don't know. But let's be like Abram. Anyway. God almost always leads us out of our inner culture or our inner mindset of who we think we are and who we think we can be. Now, the quality of our faith is determined by the nature of the object of our faith. What does that mean? I know we, we speak this way. Well, that brother over here, he's got a lot more faith than me. As if faith is a commodity that you can sort of reduce it into coins. Oh, oh God, give me more faith, and then he gives you more faith coins. That's not an accurate picture. Our faith, the quality of our faith, has a lot to do with what we have faith in. I mean, if, if Mike Nelson says he's going to do something, even if it's crazy, you'll believe him. Why? Because he's Mike Nelson. Not because his promise is all that, but because it's Mike Nelson making the promise. You have good faith because you've invested it in Mike. There are other people, they have faith in, oh, good golly, a whole bunch of things that, well, you go, that, that's dumb faith. That's stupid faith. That's poor faith. That's crazy faith. It's not, it's not quality faith. The reason I say this is, I think it's important that we believe the promise of God, that we have faith in the promises of God. But you know, we can't have faith in the promises of God unless we have faith in the promiser. There's a lot of people who believe God's words without trusting in him. And that doesn't please God. Here's Abram. He's in new age. He, he's comfortable. And God says, I want you to move out from what you're currently experiencing. I want you to move out from other people's expectations of how far you can go in God. I want you to move out from the misery that you've decided to settle in because there's more. And you don't know what it's like. Why would anybody take a step? If I came up to you and gave you good godly counsel, you go, well, yeah, last night, but it's Ben Goodman and Jesus had to die for him. But what if God tells you? When you know God, you know he's not going to trick you. When you know God, he's not going to trick you. He's not going to, come on, follow me, follow me, follow me. Oops, I forgot. He's not going to do that. Our God is not a trickster. 
When God says, I want you to do something, he means it. And he may not tell you everything, but everything he works together for our good. Even if we don't know what the everything looks like. The reason Abram could start getting the train out of his station was not because of the promise. Because the promise was crazy. Just get going and I'll bless you. That's crazy. The reason he could pick it up and move on is he trusted more in God. It's the promiser that he had connect with, not just the promise. Does that make sense? There is an object of faith, which is God. That's why, that's why you're going to have pastors going, be in your devotions. You know, just talk to God. Let him talk to you. Read your Bible. It's not a checklist. It's something that cultivates your knowledge of who the dude is. God will meet you there and you go, wow, he's bigger than my brain. He's bigger than my sin. He's bigger than my past. He's even bigger than my spouse's imperfections. He's bigger than my fears. He's God. And if he asks me to do this, I know I can do it. Because he's asking me to do it. But it's not because the promise is all that. It's because the promiser is all that. Then there's the vision of faith. After a while, God does give us sort of an idea of what things can look like. And, and you know the scripture says without vision, people perish? Unless we have a sense of what, how God looks at things and have a sense of how God, God values things and have a sense of basic direction, what we'll do is we'll end up perishing. We'll end up doing what we think is right, even sincerely. And then we become undone. But look at Genesis chapter 13. This is Abram. He's, he's gone, but he brought Lot with him, and there was some conflict, and there's difficulty and all that. God sort of intervenes. And then, but Abram was so focused on what he was dealing with. I'll bet you he even forgot why he left Ur of the Chaldees. Because he was just dealing with life. Look, as we obey God, life happens. Warfare happens. And then our focus is like, this is hard. This is difficult. You know, I don't have the money. My, my spouse is not the person I married. All this sort of stuff. And there it is. This happened to Abram after his difficulties with Lot. And look what God says. Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Here he is where he are. And he's consumed with where he be. And God just goes, hey, lift up your eyes. Don't be in denial about where you are, but lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes right from the place where you are. Don't wait to get somewhere so you can see better. In the middle of your stuff, lift up your eyes. Look at this. Lift up your eyes from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I'll give it to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is incredible stuff. In the middle of your stuff, I think I'll divorce. I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. I think I'll give up and all. God sometimes just says, stop. 
Lift up your eyes from where you are. And when you just do that, God will not only renew some of the hope and vision that started you on this thing, He'll even give you more clarity and more encouragement to move ahead. That's how God is. There's some principles, two sides to the same coin. You can't go where you can't see. Your focus determines your direction. If, if you get a word from God or a challenge from God, this is your calling, and you go, I can't do this. Why? Because I can't do this. It'd be like Moses going, God, you want me to be a spokesman, but I stutter. And he focuses on stuttering. So, you know, if he just kept on focusing on his stuttering, he would have been a stutterer all his life, even though God's saying, you can be my spokesman. You can't go where you can't see. Or on the other side, you can only go where your spiritual eyes are focused on. You can only go there. You know, we are so, we're to be accepting. Learn to be content where we are. There's a whole bunch of things about the here and now, how God wants us to live in the here and now. If nothing ever changed, can we enjoy our walk with Christ here and now? But God always is growing and developing, taking land in us, taking land through us. And every so often we got to get together with God and go, God, now where are we going? What do we really want? What are our hopes and dreams? When people stop doing that, they function very well in the here and now. But over time, they will live a discouraged life. As Christians, we're made to walk out our future. We're made to follow God into our destiny. And every so often it's good to say, God, why am I here? Every so often to go to your spouse, okay, look, you've been praying, I've been praying, so what does God have for us? Let's compare notes. Let's not fight about it. Let's pray into it. That just keeps you moving forward. You can't go where you can't see. And you can only really go where your spiritual eyes are focused on. There's a lot of young people, you know, he's so cute, he's got a cross and he sings stuff and he's so cool and he really loves me. He says he does, right? Right? Listen. What is your vision for your life, young ladies? Do you want a man that you can admire? Or do you want a boy toy? you want a man that you can admire, who will co- you know, cover you, who will lead you, who will pour into you, and, 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 and have vision that will inspire you? You want some of that? Good. Wait for the steak. Don't be nibbling on cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers will ruin your appetite. It's true. But, but you've got to keep your eye on the vision. Here's the third one. The object of faith is God. The vision of faith is what does God show us? What does he inspire us? What has he put in us to hope for? And if you'll notice, almost all the time when God encourages us, we're going beyond what we think we're capable of doing going beyond what we think we're entitled to do. When God speaks to us many times, yeah, he comforts us and he encourages us, but when he's leading us, his leading will expose our excuses, our weaknesses, and our own plans. Think about it. What does the argument look like between you and God? God has a plan for your marriage. And you go, yeah, God, but you know, you missed a couple things. 
missed a couple things. I know you're omniscient and you're all powerful and you can do all things. You know, all that. I know all that, but you know, we're stuck and it's just, think, what, what does that argument look like between God and you? God, I know more than you. Just a thought. Then there's this thing called the obedience of faith. Obedience doesn't mean getting it right, but there's some things that we just do. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 11. I love this. I love this. God's not asking us to do everything right. Just say, God, if you say so, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a step. You know, just take a step. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now we're back to Abram. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she, cons- since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What if Abram said, thanks, great idea, but I think I'll worship you right here in the Ur of Chaldeas? I don't know what would have happened. Would God have loved him? Yeah. Would he have been able to worship God there? Probably. But he wouldn't have experienced the fullness of why he was put on planet Earth. Little steps of obedience are followed by a whole bunch of other little steps of obedience. And when you put them together, God uses it to do great things in us and through us. That's just how God works. We may not be superstars, you know, and people may not know us, but we'll be known in heaven and we'll be known by the people who care about us. When we have real faith, faith produces obedience. It makes you want to go do something. It, it makes you confront your fears. You go, wow, for me to do this, I'll have to do something. It, it, it does something inside where you go, and you may say, oh no, forget it. But when you know God's spoken to you, like, you want to go do something. Real faith produces obedience. When you have faith, you really believe God, but you don't do anything about it, something dies in you. Faith without works really is dead. You're alive to God, God will bless you, Look at this in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? A lot of guys, yeah, my my family's the most important thing. My wife is, I love her more than anybody this side of heaven. Okay, when's the next marriage retreat? Do you date your wife? Things like that. Well, you know, we don't have time. Come on, man. We find out what you really value by what you really do. That's how it is. What we really value will be expressed by what we really do, what we even try hard. What we're willing to fail at is evidence of what we really care about. So, also, faith by itself, it doesn't have work, is dead. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed or matured by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abram believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And so he was called a friend of God. Faith, faith produces obedience. Without obedience, there's no reality to what God's spoken to us. It's just like a merit badge or just like a, a dim memory of a really cool time. Faith actually requires, puts a demand on us to do something to respond, to act, to obey, even in a little way. Even if it's a God, this is hard, but I say yes. God, this is hard, but I surrender. I mean, just that act can get the train out of the station. When we hear what God says and enjoy what God says, but don't put any feet to it, it will eventually produce a kind of deception. James is very clear about this. And the deception is just basically... What I believe is real in my life. If I believe it, then it's real. That's not true. Things get real when we put feet to what we believe. Come on, guys. I know, I know the Minnesotan thing. You know, you know that old joke? This, this uh, Oli and Lena. You know, they're 85 years old. And uh, Lena goes to Oli. Oli, you know, uh, do you love me? Why do you ask such a question? I, I don't know how to do it. I go into a Jewish thing. I'll do, I'll do it here. You don't, I don't think you love me. Why would you think that? Well, you know, I haven't heard you say it for our whole marriage. All right? And, and Oli says, look, I told you I loved you in the beginning, and if I change my mind, I'll tell you. Right? Isn't that garbage? Isn't that absolute garbage? Some lady's sitting there going... You find out what you're really passionate about by seeing what you really do. Just letting you know. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to get it right. But when God challenges, look, here you are. You got this ministry. I want you to reproduce it. Yeah, but I can't do it. Can't do it. Then you're not nearly as passionate about the ministry that you say you're passionate about. This is how it is. I mean, if you know it's God talking to you, not just man, you know. Taking little steps produces a sense of greater reality. It's hard. I used to, when I was like in junior high, I used to play basketball. And I was real short, real short. But I had this herky-jerky, you know, shuck and jive. And, you know, so that I could do this, this jumper. And I was deadly, man. I was deadly. But then I started, you know, playing with, you know, eighth graders, even high schoolers. And I found out that my game, when it was brought up to the next level, these, these other guys would just look at me and watch me and slap the ball at me. They just blocked my shot. And you know what the coach did? He said, I think you need to learn how to shoot a jump shot. I initially went, my game's all right. And went, oh, yeah? How's it going for you? Yeah. So I actually had to learn a new jump shot, and I'm telling you, the first couple of weeks of learning a jump shot, it was hard. I mean, I was like a poster child for something. Just, I mean, it was, nothing was working, 
right? But, you know, coach, come on, come on, you can do it. You'll be able to score better. And I didn't believe him. But all of a sudden, boom, I started hitting it and then improving. And all of a sudden, I couldn't wait to get to the gym. My coach, his name was Vito DeLora. Yeah, he was five foot two all the way around. He, he, was, he was a human bat. I swear he was a human basketball. I'm, he had no right teaching me about basketball, but he was a great coach. But you get the idea. I told this story last night. I'll, I'll say it again. You know, my kids and my wife had never been to the ocean. And a couple years ago, I said, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to do a ministry trip, bring my family uh, to North Carolina, and then we're going to go to the ocean. And everybody gets all excited. We're going to go to the ocean. What's that? All right? So we're on the western part of North Carolina, got about a four-hour drive. And my kids are great travelers, but still, four hours, well, you know, things get sort of rough. And, uh, I mean, you can only play I Spy so many times, you know. So we're going and going, and we're tired, and this, and the kids are sort of whiny. And, you know, my wife is, you know, she's sleeping because she's so mellow. And I'm just going, oh, God. And in my head, I'm going, I can't believe we did this. I think let's just stop, stop at, a, at a hotel and go into a pool. I think we'll do that. But I kept on going. We had the windows down, and I think we were about a half hour out. And all of a sudden, I went, do you smell that? And, and the kids go, yeah, what's that? I go, it's the salt air from the ocean. Can you smell it? And you know, the, you know, the kids are rolling their windows down and... Yeah, right? At that moment, our three and a half hours of labor and antsiness and boredom were catapulted into expectation. We would have never had that experience if we hadn't just packed up our rental car and gotten going. God's sitting there going, you know, you're going to have a great vacation in the ocean but you got to get in the heart and, and, and endure some difficulty. And the kids were going, oh, it's not fun. Because yeah, they had no idea what the beach was like. But as soon as they started smelling the thing that they'd never seen, they're getting all excited. Ooh, it's salt air. Who knows in their mind what that really meant? Salt shakers all over, you know. <laughs> Taking steps. Obeying. As the Lord had said, this kind of faith pleases God. There's two quotes I'd like to leave you all with. One is from a guy who hated God, but he understood something. And there's another guy who loved God, and he he understood the same thing. Good old Mark Twain. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. So throw off the bowlines. Sail away from your safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, and discover. Now this is from a heathen. C.S. Lewis was no heathen. He understood vision from God and he just summed up the challenge that's really for for all of us. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. No matter how good it is, there's always more.
So I want to pray for us. There's some of you who know exact, God's going this. could be your marriage. Some of you are, are, are playing in some gray areas, sin-wise, because you're discouraged. And God said, no, no, trust me enough to know that, that playing in that gray area will not only not satisfy you, it'll blow you up. It'll just do it. So whatever the Holy Spirit is pinpointing, just, okay, God, I get you. You got me. What's my next step? Faith pleases God. Faith, we're made to live by faith. Not by presumption, not by weirdness, but by trust in a real God. Not just to keep us where we are, but to lead us into why we are here on planet Earth. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person here, every person who's part of this awesome church family. God, I ask that, in in asking that you would increase our faith, what we're really asking is we'd really like to know who you really are in a greater way. Where our understanding of ourselves what we can and can't do, what we're afraid to do and all, they're real. But when they compete against your leading, they're just a poor second. Lord, I ask that you would bring a revelation of who you really are to us in the middle of our stuff so that we can lift up our eyes and see where you really would like to lead us. And God, we we don't want to try to do everything all at once. But God, would you help us obey, take the next step and the next step and the next step until we can smell the salt air. Until we get a momentum where we're so thankful God put us on this course to get us out of where we're used to. God, I ask again that you do it for us because we're made to live that way. But God, do it for our families, the people that we say we love, even our communities, that we could live this way. And God, would you do it for the sake of your name? Because when we walk by faith, you will make sure people will notice. God, would you do that? And just don't push us on, but lead us on into the next more fruitful seasons of our life. Amen.